Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Ilona Thompson with Palate Exposure, and I'm here with Mayan Kosicki and Miguel Luna. And um, it's a very exciting opportunity to get to know them and their brand, Lapel. Um, we'll start with Mayan. And uh, please tell us where you're from, your background. Uh, sure, yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm uh, originally from Israel. I started to make wine back in 2004. Uh-huh. And uh, in 2010, I decided to move to Napa and started to look on opportunities and ways to uh, move here. and. I had a great opportunity to work at the winery at Screaming Eagle, and that's what brought me here. Mm-hmm. And I've make the long story short, after a few years, I met Philippe Melka, mm-hmm. and today I work for Philippe Melka. That's my real job, working yeah. for Philippe Melka as director of winemaking, managing the day-to-day for him. And then Miguel and I started Lapel uh, in 2016. So 2016 vintage was our first vintage. So you said two words, Screaming Eagle, that gets just about every serious wine lovers attention right that is the cult that's unsurpassed right many tribes none reach that kind of apogee so how did you get an opportunity to um honestly i was very lucky i was working in israel for a very famous uh, winemaker um owner uh dr margalit and dr margalit is um he was a very famous uh, he's still chemistry professor from Davis, okay. uh, from UC Davis, and he wrote uh, very famous books about uh, wine chemistry, wine chemistry, wine technology, and people use them for school, okay. and get to work for him as to be his winemaker for his, it's probably the top winery in Israel, okay. uh, so that already, already opened some doors, and then um, I was lucky enough that my resume ended up at Screaming Eagle, and they reached out to me at some point, uh, and asked me if I'm interested in an internship, mm-hmm. and to be totally honest, it's kind of a funny story, and I think Miguel heard it a million times. Uh, oh, I, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard about Screaming Eagle before. Uh, <laughs> before uh, getting the, the application, I was, you know, Israel is very much uh, European-driven. It's very heavy on Europe and old world, more than new world. And California wines usually don't get uh, all the way to Israel because they're, they're expensive already here. So by the time they, you export them and taxes, they're so expensive that you don't really don't see them. Yeah. Um, so I got the email, I opened my computer and I uh, spoke with my brother and I saw what Screaming Eagle is all about, which the website doesn't really tell you anything. Nope. But uh, it's the most clandestine website ever. Right. Join our mailing list and that's about <laughs> it. Uh, so I, was, I just Googled it quickly and said, okay, this is very interesting and probably I should explore it. And I flew to California for an interview and wow. went to visit them and learn more, more about who they are. and. Uh, was a young winemaker that joined uh, to Screaming Eagle back in 2010 and he was the winemaker taking over and I, he offered me to come for an internship and from there staying full time so that's kind of what pulled me into Napa. So was it Andy Erickson that you worked with? Uh, Andy actually when when I they interviewed me in the beginning Andy was involved but Andy left. Uh, Andy it was uh, Nick, yeah. Nick Gislason. Nick Gislason yeah. yeah so uh, you worked with him very closely. So that was his first vintage when uh, he took over and I joined and I worked with him very closely yeah, for a few years. And uh, he's, a, he's a great guy, so, so it was fun. So what are your thoughts on Screaming Eagle now? <laughs> you know, that's so funny. That's the name that ca- always catches. Everyone wants to talk about Screaming Eagle. Oh, yes. Uh, getting away from that. Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, obviously, um, the wine is really good. It's all about the site. Yeah. I think Screaming Eagle is one of those unique places in the valley 
that um, they just got everything. They got a great mix of soils and their vineyard just expresses Napa in a great way. So I think the wine, I don't know about the price and you know, yeah. that's the, we can have a discussion about the, the price, if it makes sense or not, but it's definitely a great wine. Uh, it comes from a great site. So Scream Eagle, in your mind, is Scream Eagle for a reason. There's a legitimate... Absolutely. And I think the time is proving that, that consistently every year it's one of the top wineries and one of the top wines and they always perform. And if, I remember 2011 vintage, which is, was a very tough vintage for Napa Valley. We made great wines in 2011. I feel like the wines, the vineyards were, it's an earlier site <coughs> and the, the vineyards still performed to make a really high-end quality uh, wines. Mm -hmm. yeah. How long were you there? Uh, I left in 14. Okay. In 2014 I left to join Philippe. Got it. So I want to go back a little bit uh, deeper into your upbringing and um, how, you, how you came to be um, in the wine world. So you grew up in... Yeah, so I grew up in a small village, okay. um, farming village. We have, okay. a, we have a farm, uh, we, but vegetables and fruits, never wine. It's not a wine region in Israel. Okay. And um, after the army, I traveled the world. I was in the Israeli army and traveled the world. Compulsory in Israel. Yeah, for three okay. years. And I was yeah. in the paratroopers and left and went to travel. Um, my first true interaction with wine was in Mendoza, in Argentina. Argentina. Okay. Yeah, I was traveling for over a year with my girlfriend at the time, wife now. Oh. And uh, we loved Mendoza. And <coughs> we ended up staying for two, three weeks there, just visiting wineries. And we were 21 years old, 22, but we really fell in love. Um, came back to Israel and went to study mechanical engineering, not really wine. Um, and wh when I got to the end, when I wrote my thesis, I actually decided to write it about uh, processing and sorting grapes. And Why? The reason it was, the, it was very trendy in Israel. I didn't okay. invent anything. It's uh, late 90s, the wine industry in Israel were, was starting to really boom everywhere and mm -hmm. we had more and more wineries. And I wanted to find something that connects me back to the land. So hmm. uh, I wrote the thesis, I fell in love, and while writing the thesis, I made one barrel. I did like a, you know, a one-year class uh, from grape to bottle, made one barrel. I called it one barrel uh, and label it as, uh, the label is very ugly, it's one barrel. <laughs> and uh, I still have a few bottles. And then I said, okay, this is amazing. I mean, I think I, think I want to switch and go for that. And went, applied for a job in a winery in Israel, in La Valley. It's a kosher winery in the Judean Hills and started to work as an intern and stayed at a system winemaker and went back to the agriculture faculty in Israel to uh, do uh, more agronomist viticulture. Not necessarily wine actually, I was more on the vineyard sides in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, but slowly shifted into more winemaking. So it was entirely yeah. unplanned, mechanical engineering totally. to viticulture. What did your family think about that? My father is a farmer. Uh, he's retired, but he's a farmer and he was very excited that one of his three boys is actually going back to the land. The <laughs> other two are computer engineers, <coughs> so they don't necessarily care about uh, farming. Uh, they enjoy living on the ranch, but they don't really do anything in the farming. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was excited. Uh, he didn't really had an interaction with growing grapes or wine grapes, which is very different uh, and we can talk about it, but it's very different farming um, for, for conventional farmer that work with table grapes to see what we are doing to the vineyards, it's, they, it's hard for them to understand. And um, my mom passed away, unfortunately, in 2003, so she I'm never so saw any part of my winemaking career, but, but I think she always knew I'm gonna follow my passion. I mean, I wanted to do something that I enjoy and makes me happy. I don't, I don't wanna wake up in the morning to something that I don't love, so wine worked. 
it's still working. It yeah. sounds really charmed. You do what you <laughs> love. Of all the wineries, you, you're interning at the Screen Eagle. It's sort of yeah. like you could maybe say Romani Conti would be something that might top it. Yeah, I'll take Romani Conti. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but for the new world, it simply doesn't get any more famous. I don't want right. to say get any better because, you know, that's a different qualification. But it really is the pinnacle um, of what you could be exposed to in the context of California right. viticulture. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I was honestly, I was very lucky. I had no idea how... On, it took me even more than a year to be in California. I met Miguel in 2014, but uh, before that, when I was at Screaming Eagle, I really didn't, I didn't know what's, what does it mean and how big the name is. I was mainly working. I mean, it's a, it's a winery in Oakville. We go in the morning to work. We start very early in the morning and we leave very late in the afternoon. And I didn't know anyone in Napa. I was for three years just there. Uh, only when I started to work with Philippe Malka, I, got to know more people and got to know the more vineyards around the valley and more wines. The one thing I did do during the three years, it was always my goal. I um, went to taste once a week and I tried to visit as many wineries as I can because my original plan was to move back home. So I took a day a week in the afternoons, even more than a day, and I tried to visit at least two, three wineries every week just to, to make sure I keep visiting Napa wines. So I gain, gain more knowledge about Napa. Any highlights during that time? Any of the wineries that really... You know, I did it, um, you know, like a mechanical engineer, I guess. I structured it very well. I had uh, <laughs> appellation after appellation. Uh, oh, good. The There's some consumer <laughs> intel here. That's how you taste Napa yeah. Valley, do appellation. Ex absolutely. And then finding the big names, obviously, but then go down to the family. Or, or I was really looking for the old school growers like Philip Togni on Pritchard Hill, oh, on Pritchard Hill, sorry, on Spring Mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, Hal Mountain with Dunn family. I was looking for those kind of producers that I can really go and see what they're doing for years and years. Um, I think my highlights was always uh, Dunn is my highlight, and it's, uh, I just love the people, but I also love the wines. Um, built to last for sure. Yeah, I think some of them might outlive me. Yeah, they're beautiful wines. <laughs> I love those wines and the people behind them. And uh, so it's kind of like the classics of Napa that I fell in love with: uh, Diamond Mountain, Diamond Creek, and, and yes, then the, the New World in Napa that makes really great wines that on Preacher Hill and uh, with wines that we work now by Brand and Ovid and Dalla Valle, of course, and other great producers. You said something that really caught my attention, again, not to make it a bad screaming angle, but people have this kind of very fairy dust impression of what it takes to be at the vineyard and to mm -hmm. do the actual work. And you said Screaming Eagle is no different. You know, you just show up and you do what you're supposed to do. Like, can yeah. you describe what your morning, early morning, I assume, and afternoon are like? Like, what is a day in the life of mine? You know, I think uh, my life today is a little different because now I'm involved with multiple projects sure. and uh, different appellations, vineyards, farmers. Uh, but uh, when you work in a state like every state, I mean, the big name, the famous name and the famous wine doesn't change mm -hmm. the routine. Mm -hmm. you, you grow grapes and you work hard in the vineyard for eight months a year. And then you just, when they're ready, you pick them and make the wine. You try to capture what you got in the vineyard. So it's mainly vineyard in the end. So physical yeah. work, like very hands-on, what does it look like? There is a great team behind. Uh, like today, I think in Napa, in the new, it's kind of a new world maybe, but in Napa it's very common to have farming company. Mm -hmm. Farming companies that manage the vineyards and, and uh, farm the vineyards and have bring the labor and support with the viticulture. But, uh, but we try to be involved as much as we can and nothing really changed for me. Today I still try to be involved as much as I can and uh, work with the farmers and work with the growers and 
really understand why they are doing what they are doing and try to bring the wine knowledge and the wine quality of the site to their farming. And I think that's the biggest thing in Napa Valley that we can really make great wines because we can collaborate. Well put. So there's a lot of attention being paid to harvest time, which is of course currently the phase that we're in, very exciting, probably a lot of trepidation too because everything has to go well. But the reality that you're describing is that those other eight, nine months out of the year is when the hard work, the daily grind, the actual oh, yeah. learning curve at times when a vineyard throws you a curveball, right? Every day. <laughs> I mean, maybe Miguel should touch that, but I think for us in general, we every day we got rain yesterday for example yeah. yesterday or two days ago yeah. uh you know we pl we can plan as much as we want but mother nature will do whatever their own thing and yeah uh, so i think farming is the key in the end um, yeah miguel join our conversation <laughs> no, we're in so i was going to kind of go back to worry. that i think he's falling asleep yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, but well People sometimes forget that at the end of the day, it's farming what we're doing. Yeah. And farming, you never have full control of, of what's going to happen. You can have control of what you're doing, but Mother Nature really is the one who's in charge. Absolutely. So there's always you can do you can prepare as much as you want and as you can, but at the end of the day, there's uncertainty as part of the equation, and we just have to be ready to react and do the best we can. So what is your background? How did you? Um, so my background is I'm. I'm originally from Mexico. I was okay. born there and I moved here when I was 13 years old. Uh, my dad has been in the valley since 68. Oh, wow. So he's, he's been here for, for a long time. He's actually 73 and he still works 60 hours a week driving a tractor. Uh, he that's just, extraordinary. He just loves it. Um, I, I think he's, that's why he's so healthy because he still goes to work every day. Um, so we moved here when I was 13. I have three siblings, one brother and two sisters. And um, we moved to St. Lena. So I've only <laughs> lived in Mexico and in Napa Valley in my life. <laughs> what a um, change of us. I, funny thing, it's like I'm a Northern California guy. I've never been to LA in my life. I've never been past Santa Barbara. So it's always been up here. Um, so I moved straight into St. Lena High School. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I was always... Um, 97 was my first harvest. I was 14 years old, I remember. And just to tell you how much the valley has changed, um, my first job was to be inside a five-ton picking bin with rubber boots inside the bin, picking leaves out, stepping on the fruit all day. That was in Rutherford in 97. To today, where we're picking beans that are five pounds each and every berry has to be perfect. So in a very short, short period of time, the valley has changed quite a bit. 97 was like a classic vintage. Yeah. So, like, my eyes got e-baked when you said, <laughs> I, I had this very so. different impression about how the fruit was handled at such a perfect vintage. It's changed a lot, you know, and, and in the 2000s, there was a huge shift on, on, on what quality and the expectations of the fruit and farming and everything. Um, so, that was my first, and then when I turned 16, uh, my dad told me, you're 16, you can work now, so find something to do, and I didn't. Uh, and I remember one weekend at five in the morning waking me up and saying, I told you to get a job and you didn't listen, so I found you one. And so he started taking me to the vineyards with him and I used to hate it, hate it with a passion. <laughs> because I had to be in the sun for 10 hours, Saturday and Sunday, and it was just painful. Um, but I learned a lot, you know, because I was young and I, I, I hated it, but I always tried to do a good job at the same time. So I learned a lot about the vineyards from a young age. 
And then after high school, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was just working and not really doing much. Um, and then I was working at Safeway and I, that's when I started going out with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And um, she just saw how much I, how unhappy I was with work. And she started coming to my house with a count with a Napa Valley College um, booklet with all the classes, and she would highlight classes and say, "You know, you hate working at Safeway. You should go back to school." Um, and I highlighted some classes for you in this uh, catalog. Smart woman. <laughs> Thanks, God, <Gabby, Cassandra. laughs> um, So then um, we, I started. In high school, initially, I wanted to go into beauty culture and analogy. That was my yeah. idea. So when I started going out with her and then started having wine again, it kind of like I went back to that idea. And so I started going to the junior college and taking all the classes. Um, but it took me a very long time to finish. And I eventually transferred to Davis. But since I moved to the States when I was 13, my high school classes didn't really prepare me for college. So I kind of had to go back to high school at the junior college. I was there for four and a half years because I had to start from like pre-calculus all the way to calculus three and like general chemistry. I had to take like at the end two years of organic chemistry. It just took a long, long time. And so all along I started working at Silverado Farming, which is where I work now um, as an intern. And I would work the growing season. Silverado Farming is a vineyard management company here in the Valley. So I would work the growing season with them and go to school at the same time. And then in September, I would get internships at different wineries because I always had interest in winemaking as well, not just the vineyard side. So they would let me go and work at different wineries during harvest. And then mm -hmm. in January, I go back to pruning and all that. Um, and after that, I finally transferred to Davis and I got my degree in viticulture and analogy. And... Um, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about a monumental commitment that you made all the years that you spent studying. Yeah. Well, what, what drove you? Like what? When I at first I got my associate's degrees from the degrees from the junior college on viticulture mm -hmm. and analogy, and I felt that to be taken seriously, I needed to get a degree from Davis. I feel mm -hmm. like that was not enough of an education to have a real career. Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided that I needed to focus on transferring and and um, I just fell in love with the industry and it was a passion and I knew that if I wanted to be in this industry for the rest of my life, that was the time to, to do the education and, and build a career in the future. So then I focused on what is it that I needed to do to, to actually transfer to, to Davis. Do you think about those times when dad woke you up early in the morning and said it was at the time not welcome but do you I'm very grateful it? now yeah. yeah I'm very grateful and and you know um whenever I go to my parents house over the weekends and stuff we still my dad always talks to me about being years now and I think he's happy that I kind of went back to what I used to not like yeah. in the beginning yeah so you guys met in 2014 is it at the same time that you encountered Philippe, Philippe Melka, or what, what happened? Um, actually, we met a little bit because of Philippe. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so I decided to leave Screaming Eagle. It's kind of a transition year for me. Um, I was really looking on going back home. I started to look at the idea of moving home. And uh, uh, my wife and I were here for four years already. 
We yeah. had two kids, uh, and we said, okay, I think it's time to, to move back to the family. The, all our families are over there. Sure. Um, so then I really wanted to do one more harvest in Napa Valley, and, and I said, <laughs> you know, if, let's not do it at Scrimmage, let's do something else. I mean, it's an amazing place, and it's the top of the top, but let's yeah. learn from someone else. Yeah. So I actually, a good friend of mine that used to be the winemaker at Dana Estate, uh, Cameron Voder, that he left already, but uh, I met him for a, for a coffee and I said, hey, I'm looking for la last work, last vintage, and he said, okay, yeah, come work with me if you want, and he's a very interesting guy, and I, I, he has a great personality, so I was like, okay, that's great, I'm going to work with you for vintage, and I'm moving home, uh, and then he called me the day after, he said, you know, my consultant is Philip Melka, and I think you guys should meet, and just, I think you're going to have a good relationship with him, and good chemistry with him. And um, I said, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I'd love to meet Philippe. And met Philippe for a coffee. It was a very interesting conversation for me. We sat for about an hour. We didn't talk about wine at all. Uh, I was very, very surprised and impressed. I don't know if you know, you know a little bit of Philippe. Philippe is the, probably the nicest guy I know. I've been working with him for six years now, and I have nothing bad to say about him. He's just a, he's a pure soul, and he cares about what he does, and he loves wine. Uh, but he's also about family and about uh, family business and about people. Um, so yeah, we had a great conversation for for like an hour, and then in the end he said, uh, "Hey, I don't really have a job for you." So and I said, "That's fine. I'm not looking for a job. I was was excited to meet you." And then a week later he reached out again and said, "Hey, we should meet." And we met again. We talked a lot about his company and what he does as a consultant. And and you know he moved to Napa in '91 and the whole transition for him as a foreigner coming to Napa and meeting his wife and then he said in the end it was funny it, uh, so he said in the end like you know I don't really have any job to offer you and I said yeah I mean that's fine I'm, <laughs> it's not a problem I'm gonna go work for Dana Estate it's, uh, I'm happy I'm very excited about it and I want to move back home and then he called me a few days later he said I have something for you <laughs> and uh, I said okay cool <laughs> yeah. so we end up meeting and he end up offering me to join to the Atelier Melka uh, which is the consulting company, Philip Melka's consulting company. And uh, I joined in April of 14. I left the Eagle and I joined, uh, joined Philip. And uh, Miguel was actually working for Philip in 2013 vintage. Um, he did um, harvest as an intern there, um, kind of so internship. And, and when I started to work with Philip, Miguel was actually in France. Uh, doing another harvest in France. Um, I think he was still, you know, we always love that uh, the, the viticulturists always wanted to be winemakers. So that's another one of them. Uh, so he did a few internships in wine before going to vineyards. And I was working with Philippe for 2014 vintage. Uh, mm -hmm. And in the end of the vintage, which I, we sat for a conversation and we had a good talk. And he said, listen, I really want to keep you and there is any chance you want to stay. And uh, promoted me to, to the head winemaker and then I became director of winemaking and, uh, and I ended up staying and I love what I do today so it, it worked out uh, for now. Clearly. So <laughs> where in France were you Michael? Uh, I was in Bordeaux working at Chateau of Fusel which is in Passac Lignon. Mm -hmm. um, I was there for like three and a half months um, just working harvest at the winery. Okay. Uh, that was after I finished at Davis and um, when I was coming back I didn't have a position here mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of send an email to everyone I knew and when I when when I landed back I had a voicemail from Philippe saying I think I have something give me a call when you get back and they had a winery where they needed someone to take care of the winery because they were at just clear house and that's where I met mine because um, I was at the winery by myself and he would come in to 
to check on the work. <laughs> it still bothers him until today. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's where we met, and um, I was at the. I was there for six months. Um, I came in after harvest, and I left in the spring because um, Pete Richmond, who's the main partner at Silverado Farming, called me and was like, um, "I think it's time for you to stop messing around. I, you need to come back and work for me." full-time and um, he's another really nice guy I think just as nice as, as Philippe and I couldn't really say no so then I, I left the winery where I was working and I came back full-time as a viticulturist for uh, for Silverado and then uh, in 2017 I became partner 2018 last year congratulations thank you yeah wow. it's a big company isn't it yeah we farm up and down the valley and in Sonoma um, I think we have about 50 clients, I would say, somewhere around there. Um, but a lot of high-end stuff, and we do a lot of work directly with... Um, I work with Mayan as if we work together, pretty much, because we, we share a lot of the vineyards that we farm here, they make the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work a lot with Philippe and Mayan and, and other people in the valley. So can you name some of the vineyards and some of the wines that you're making? Uh, that we work together. Yeah. Um, that estates, it's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we farm Philippe's vineyards, his personals for, for mm-hmm. Melka wines. And Matisse is a famous blend. Yeah, um, Macaro, which is in Knights Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they farm the Lale vineyards? Lale. Oh, that's iconic. Yeah. Lale brand is another one in Pritchard yeah. Hill. Yeah. And then all the vineyards that go to La Pelle, when we'll touch La Pelle, they're all farmed by them. And then we source grapes from vineyards they, they farm um, as well. So. so you farm both Valley Flora and the hills, which yeah. has to be a very different animal? Uh, very different. Yeah, you, you have to approach things in a different way. Um, in the hills, you have to pay attention all the time. If you fall asleep, things can go wrong really quick. So just, just the water holding capacities for the most part are not the same as the Valley Flora. In the valley floor, you're battling most of the time bigger and trying to balance your vines. In the in the mountains, most of it, you're generally, I mean, it's from vineyard to vineyard, but you're mm-hmm. fighting low vigor and trying to maintain um, good health of the vines and, and making sure they're not crashing, especially this time of the year. Is Pritchard Hill one of the more challenging sites? Pritchard Hill is challenging, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's one of those challenges that you you take with a smile because it's just, in my opinion, the whole Preacher Hill going down to Oakville is probably the best part of the Napa Valley. Mm. Um, just beautiful wines, beautiful soils, and and just being up there in the morning and seeing the the, the fog burn out is beautiful. When you when the valley's fogged, you can't see anything, and then in twenty thirty minutes later, then everything opens up and it's just like makes everything. Um, you put everything into perspective of, of how lucky we are to be working here. You guys can't see it, but your, your face just lights up as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun to see. You clearly are all in. Yeah, it's um, it's it's um, very rewarding. Um, and just to, going back to, to working at Safeway, and I mean, it's, it's fine, uh, <laughs> but I was miserable. And like, so doing something that you like change, changes your life, your day to day, and and just the quality of life is so much better when you enjoy what you do. That's a life lesson right there. I think it applies to everyone. The sooner you discover what you're really into, 
the better yeah. quality of life is going to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree less. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> this day is less, but uh, we're pretty tired these days. But uh, yeah. you know, it's so much easier to do what you love. It's uh, it makes it easier. Uh, we drive people crazy because we started today. You know, it was very dark outside when we started, and very cold. We met at six a.m. already today in Sonoma in a vineyard when we were picking, and we're sitting with you tonight and uh, with you and uh, and uh, but it's, we'll it's be up. Tomorrow at four. Yeah, we're gonna be up <laughs> again tomorrow, but it's it's really other than you get tired like everyone else. It's yeah. other than that, nothing is really bothers you because it's, there's so much energy in the air. There's we work so hard for those grapes and to get to the moment that you actually turn it into a wine. We only have one chance a year, right? Yeah, and uh, we have to capture the best we can that represent the vintage, but also. Every vintage has its own challenges, and every vintage, for me anyway, since I moved here, I can point on since 2010 until today, every vintage was different, and 2019 is already different. We're already looking at the chemistries, we're already having, our Sauvignon Blanc is already dry, but we have a lot of things fermenting right now, and you can already see the challenges of the vintage, and we got a mm. couple of days of rain, and we got moderate weather, and we see that uh, there was a lot of rain this year, so we have over... Growth, growth in the vineyards and to balance the vineyard was a challenge um, so it's it's fascinating every year and you don't really know what you're gonna get even if we plan and we talk about it um, once you start picking the grapes you really see the picture you know we we didn't we expected potassium this year for example because of the heavy rains but we're getting high potassium that impact the ph of the wine so you have to react as a winemaker and we have to adjust the, the growing season we have to adjust the, the farming in the end and looking at about next year already so there's always something and it's uh, it's fun I mean, it's, uh, in the end you brought up the word balance several times and typically it's applied to the wine to the final product but the truth is that it really starts in the vineyard absolutely i mean to taste we can manipulate wine, but when we're talking, talking about the level of wines we are making, uh, boutique wines that represent the sites we are working with, we're not trying... That's what I love about Philippe, and that's why I connected to what Philippe is doing with his consulting company, is because every, every wine we are making is different. If you will sit and taste our portfolio next to each other, there is nothing... You will never find two wines that are similar. Every wine represents the ownership, but also represent the places that it's coming from, and uh, which is a key for us. And if the vineyard was not balanced, you're going to taste it in the wine. And we know the challenges, and we, we deal with them all, every day, pretty much. How do you keep all of, I mean, you have so many clients and so many vineyards. How do you keep all those strings? How do you balance uh, your well, <laughs> For me, personally, <laughs> I have a great team behind me okay. uh, and with me, um, and I think that's what's what again, I'm kind of saying a lot of good things about Philippe, but I think Philippe brought something very unique to California as, a, as an approach, as a consultant. Because if we look at Napa Valley, it's a lot about consulting winemakers. Yep. But Philippe built a consulting company, which is a very different philosophy of having... That's why the name of Atelier Melka, Atelier in French, is a, is a workshop. And the mm -hmm. idea was the collaboration of winemakers. Everyone in the team is a winemaker. They all have these fancy degrees from UC Davis and other great uh, universities and they all worked as winemakers mm -hmm. but they choose to work together and collaborate and so we have a great team that works on the multiple projects we are working and but I try to stay involved as much as I can and I feel like because we're still I know every site I work with I've been there at least few times a month at least and so we always luckily the valley is fairly small um, so mm -hmm. you can actually s stay in touch with the vineyards and the wineries on a pretty much on a daily basis.
So is Philippe, in fact, kind of galvanizing all this energy? What, what role does he play? Is it both mentorship, kind of a push and pull, and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. facilitating? You know, I think Philippe plays two roles because one role is Philippe is a winemaker. Yes. And he loves wine. And he's, uh, he loves vineyards and he loves soils. And he's so passionate about what he does. And I don't think Philippe will ever retire because I really think he loves it. So it's, uh, he's enjoying it. And during harvest, Philippe is in a different gear. He's working his ass off. And it's very impressive to see. I mean, it's his, I think this year is his 27th, uh, 28th vintage in Napa Valley. So, so he's been here for a while. And he still wakes up first in the morning. I will talk with him. Today we talked with him about 6 a.m. in the morning. We're already talking and he's on another vineyard, already walking a vineyard or checking a vineyard or going to a peak or tasting grapes or tasting tanks. And so I feel like during harvest and during the growing season, Philippe is very involved. Uh, and the other part is mentoring, obviously. The okay. team, the philosophy, the, the wineries we work with. We have winemakers on sites and I feel like He's such a charismatic person with uh, so much knowledge that um, he's playing the role of a mentor, no doubt. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.